July 4th is over, but the fireworks between Biden and Harris don't seem to be ending. The lead starts right now. The entire CNN exclusive interview with Joe Biden this hour. He's surprised by Senator Kamala Harris's attack and unmoved by progressives like AOC. Plus, Biden says he's ready to spar with the president, calling Trump the school bully he'd smack in the mouth. Plus, President Trump, fresh off his July 4th event, returns fire. Welcome to this special edition of The Lead. I'm Dana Bash in for Jake. We begin with the politics lead. President Trump is now at his New Jersey golf club. But before departing the White House, a venting session on the North Lawn, attacking Democratic frontrunner Joe Biden and insisting a citizenship question will be added to the 2020 census after all. The president says the administration is looking at a number of options to make that happen, including an executive order. CNN's Abby Phillip kicks off now from the White House. President Trump signaling he may use an executive order to force a citizenship question onto the 2020 census. We have four or five ways we can do it. It's one of the ways that we're thinking about doing it. Having lost in the Supreme Court and as the forms are being printed without the question, Trump seems undaunted. So we can start the printing now and maybe do an addendum after we get a positive decision. Arguing history is on his side. If you look at the history of our country, it's almost always been asked. You need it for Congress, for districting. But both claims are false. The question has not been asked since 1950, and districts are drawn based on the total number of people, not citizens, in a particular area. Sources tell CNN that Trump is frustrated with Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross for caving and announcing publicly that the administration was abandoning the effort. The developed material. But asked if Ross's job is safe, Trump said. Yeah, it is. Wilbur's a good man. And with the positive jobs report out today, Trump again using the strong economy to attack another official he appointed, the Federal Reserve chairman. We don't have a Fed that knows what they're doing. Meantime, as Democratic lawmakers and watchdog groups describe deplorable, dirty and overcrowded conditions at border detention facilities, Trump says he doesn't see a problem. And I've seen some of those places and they are run beautifully. They're clean. They're good. The president seemingly more concerned with his 2020 rival, former Vice President Joe Biden. You look at what Joe Biden has done with China. Biden didn't know what the hell he was doing. Biden doesn't know about that. And at a hearing at 2 o'clock today, Justice Department lawyers told a judge that they are looking at ways to include the citizenship question in the census, but they made no mention of a potential executive order. In fact, they said no decision had yet been made about how to proceed. Dana. Abby, thank you so much for that. And here with me, uh, Caitlin Collins, I want to start with you first. You have some reporting on uh, something that the president denied today, Wilbur Ross, the frustration that uh, you're, you're hearing he has. He says, mm, not so much, at least. Publicly. Yeah, it's interesting to see him publicly voice confidence in Wilbur Ross because the president has been a little irritated by him for some time now, but especially over the handling of this census matter, because it was a lot of confusion because just Monday night, the president had reporters in the Oval Office and was like, yes, I want this citizenship question mm-hmm. still added. He made very clear his position. So that's why it was so surprising when they were announcing that they were just going to drop their effort. So the president said he had not. And then he also, though, if you noticed when he was speaking today, he said he did not know what Wilbur Ross said that led to that decision Mm -hmm. from Chief Justice John Roberts, where he said, essentially, you need to make your argument better for Mm -hmm. why you need this question added. So there is behind the scenes, the president frustrated with Wilbur Ross over this specifically. Well, look, I mean, this has been 
frankly, just a mess all week long. Totally. Uh, and before that, it's they're going to print the census without the citizenship question because they're up against the clock. Right. Uh, then the president gets backlash from conservatives, comes out and, on Twitter and says, no, 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 we're going to do this, which forces his own Justice Department lawyers the day before the 4th of July, basically almost a federal holiday, to call a judge and to figure it out. It's a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're trying to clean it up, but also trying to at least make a political show for conservatives that they're trying even if they won't succeed ultimately. Right. And what really stuck out to me during the president's comments earlier today was him saying that, oh, the rationale, part of the rationale behind this had to do with redistricting, which actually contradicts his U.S. Solicitor General and what their arguments, the arguments that they gave, the administration gave to the Supreme Court. Mm. Uh, they said, no, that that's not what this is about. Uh, so that there's been a lot of contradiction going on throughout all of this. I want to turn to the issue of immigration. Um, you, you heard the president talking about the notion of raids potentially starting again. But then you heard part of this in Abby's piece. I'm going to play a little bit more of what he said about the facilities on the border. I've seen some of those places and they are run beautifully. They're clean. They're good. They do a great job. Border Patrol did not train to be doctors and nurses and janitors. It was your question to him, Caitlin. Uh, Let's just be clear. That is just not what we're seeing. That just defies reality of the images that we are seeing. Yeah, and it's the report from his own government that published it that talked about what these conditions are like at these facilities. They're overcrowded. Children are going without hot meals. Some of the people there have not showered the entire time they've been there. It's a really... um, just a graphic report to read it about what these people are living in. So then the president, though, in his mind, is defending the agents who work there because uh, essentially he thinks that they came off poorly and that's why you saw him there. But he's saying that they're clean and that they're beautifully run. That's not what his own government says in this very lengthy report that you can read um, specifically what the conditions are there. But it's the president essentially making this argument that if they don't want to come here and stay in these, then they should just not come at all. It's another thing that he said that I want to point out is he was saying that he hasn't seen those Facebook message posts from the group of Mm -hmm. CBP agents, which are very disturbing messaging posts uh, about Democrats, about the migrants, about children. uh, And the fact that he hasn't seen it is a little bit surprising. Um, But to Caitlin's point there, these reports are multiple, they're detailed, and they explain how uh, these children are being treated, which is also why Democrats wanted to include in the aid package that was just passed uh, standards for hygiene and for nutrition. Yeah, no, absolutely. We have a lot more to talk about. Laura Barron-Lopez, Caitlin Collins, thank you. Stand by. Is Joe Biden ready to take on President Trump? Our CNN exclusive with the former vice president is next. In our 2020 lead, CNN's exclusive interview with former Vice President Joe Biden. It comes as he spars with his 2020 rival, Senator Kamala Harris, over his past positions on busing. Chris Cuomo asked Biden about the contentious debate moment that sparked an ongoing clash between the two Democratic contenders. Plus, how Biden plans to take on President Trump. I was talking with you and Jill. You said you were expecting to have a target on your back but the intensity of some of it. Did you see the questions about your past positions from the perspective of race being as relevant as they are? No, and I don't think they're relevant because they're taken out of context. What I didn't see is people who know me. I mean, they know me well. Uh, It's not like uh, it's somebody just came out of the blue, didn't know anything, but it's so easy to go back 
and go back 30, 40, 50 years and take a context and take it completely out of context. And I mean, you know, I, I get all this information about other people's past and what they've done and not done. And, you know, I'm just not going to go there. If we keep doing that, that's, I mean, what we should debate and what we do from here. For example, this whole thing about race and busing. Well, you know, I think if you take a look, our positions aren't any different, as we're finding out. Um, With Senator Harris, who yeah. said she sees it as a tool, not a must in all circumstances. Yeah, well, <laughs> look at my record. But and, I don't think busing is about policy, Mr. Vice no, President. No, it's not. I think it was about principle. When you look back at your record on it, you were not in favor of busing. It was a different time. There were different applications. Why not just own it well, and say, way, here's the thing, I was Chris. against it, but no, now I've changed. I was, I was in favor of busing that was de jure busing. That is, if a, a court ruled that there was a law passed or circumstance that a, a county, a city, a state did that prevented black folks from being somewhere, then that's wrong. You should bus. I even went so far in the middle of that busing controversy was saying, I use helicopters if that was necessary to make the point. And we really got in a town meeting that was got very hot. But what the issue is now is, for example, and it was then, voluntary busing, we supported it. Mm. We supported it then. And by the way, Barack and I, as president and vice president, we provided money for voluntary busing if cities want to do it. I'm not questioning any of that. No, I'm no. saying that when you look back in the 70s, you said, I think busing doesn't work. It's an asinine concept. Well, by the way. You tried to pass bills that weren't for it. Busing did not work. You had overwhelming response from the, the African-American community in my state. My state is the eighth largest black population in the country as a percent of population. They, were, they did not support it. They did not support it. Look, the question is, how do you equalize education in every area? And I put forward the most, the most aggressive plan to do that, and I've been pushing it for a long time. For example, in you know, Title I schools, schools at disadvantage. Mm -hmm. We should, I propose we go from 15 billion a year to 45 billion a year. We should bring people in, have preschool from three, four, five years old before kindergarten. We should have, look, every child out there, every child out there is capable, but they live in circumstances that make it difficult. For the time they get to school, they've heard three, four million fewer words spoken. They're at a disadvantage. I totally accept all of that. That's number one, but number two, the idea right now, 65 out of 100 jobs in the study I did for the president point out you need something beyond a high school degree. So what are we doing? We're sitting around here as if it's an insoluble problem. I, I get it on the policy. I never have viewed the busing back and forth in that debate as about policy or application of how to affect civil rights. It's about consistency and proving if you'll be better than what we're dealing with now in the White House, which is people won't tell the truth about things. If busing didn't work, then it made sense that you weren't for it back then. But, it, but why say you were for it? Well, why no, not just be, be straight about it okay, and move on? Because there's three different pieces. I was for voluntary busing. Number one, I was for busing where the court showed that, in fact, a legislative body took an action preventing black folks from going to a school. Mm. That is the jure, I know you know, the jure segregation. The difficult piece is, this is 50 years ago, people don't understand the context. The third one is, do you have an administration through their non-elected officials, the Department of Housing, decide every school should be equally balanced across the board? That's a different issue. And the way to deal with that problem is what I did from the time I was a kid. I got out of, I got out of law school, came back, had a great job, became a public defender. I, I, I fought for putting housing in, in uh, uh, 
low-income housing in, in suburbia. I talked about eliminating redlining. I talked about school districts should be consolidated in ways that made sense. So, in fact... Why didn't you fight it like this in the debate? In 30 seconds? Hey, come what on, happens man. most in a debate, Mr. Vice President? People blow their time cue. You're the only person I've well, ever seen on a debate stage say I'm out of time. Well, we never had a place where you have 30 seconds, man. What I did want to do is get in that scrum. Do you think the American public looked at that debate, take me out of it, and thought, boy, I really, I really like the way that's being conducted. They're really showing themselves to do really well. Come on, man. But they're, they're going to come after you. Sure, they're going to come after Were me. you prepared for them to come after you? I was prepared for them to come after me, but I wasn't prepared for the person coming at me the way she came at me. She knew Bo. She knows me. I don't. Anyway, I. But here's the deal. What I do know, and it's a good and the bad news, the American people think they know me and they know me. Mm -hmm. Since that occurred, I had the most sought after endorsement for the mayor of Atlanta, a black woman who's a great leader, Mayor Bottoms, endorsement. I've had numerous members of the Black Caucus endorsement. You worried about I, the poll slippage with Af African-Americans after the debate? No, no. These, these folks just came. My, I'm making the point to you. I don't see it. People know who I am. I don't believe there's anybody out there believes that I have anything other than a keen and, and consistent interest in making sure every child has. These are all our children. Here's a tough. Here's the question. Did you rewatch the debate? No, I didn't. Why not? Well, I didn't have an opportunity to rewatch re it. And besides, uh, you know, my measure is how people react outside, getting on a train, getting on a plane, walking through an airport, walking in a parade, uh, just going to the grocery store. I, I, I got no sense. I really mean it. No sense. Here's the tough question for Democrats. They need a warrior. OK, because not to aggrandize, not to lionize, but this president knows how to fight in the ring one on one. Kamala Harris is friendly fire. Cory Booker is friendly fire. How can Democrats have confidence that you can take on the biggest and the baddest when you're having trouble sparring in party? I don't think I'm having trouble sparring. It's how you want to spar. Look, I'm the guy at the time, everybody talks about things that are changed. I took on same-sex marriage. I took on a whole range of issues. I took on arms control. I took on dealing with the Russia with the, with the arms control agreement. I took on uh, Putin in terms of uh, Iraq. I mean, excuse me, in terms of uh, uh, um, what was going on in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. I've taken on these leaders around the world. I'm the guy that's gone in and met them. I've taken on all these leaders. I, I mean, I'm, this is ironic. I've never been accused of being not being able to spar. I've been accused of being too aggressive. But the, but, the game has changed. Well, and you think that what's happening with Harris is anything compared to what would happen with you in this? No, president? but everybody knows who this guy is. Come on, man. Come on. How do you beat him? I beat him by just pointing out who I am and who he is and what we're for and what he's against. This guy is a divider in chief. This guy is acting with racist policies. This guy is moving to, to, to just foment hate to split. That's the only way he can be sustain himself. Nothing about him oh. worries you. Oh, yeah, well, sure it worries me in the sense that I'm looking forward to this, man. You walk behind me in a debate. Come here, man. No, you think I, you know me too well. I mean, I, I, the idea that I'd be intimidated by Donald Trump, he's the bully that I knew my whole life. He's the bully that I've always stood up to. He's the bully used to make fun when I was a kid in a stutter and I'd smack them in the mouth. Look, this is not, but that, they, I think the American people want to, a president who has some dignity, who has a value set,
who is actually trying to restore the soul of this country. So when they turn on the television, they look up and their kids say, I want to be like that guy or that woman. They're domestic agenda items I want to take through. But you have made a big point of saying the threat here with the current administration is abroad. Both. What exactly bothers you abroad? What bothers me abroad is, look, the idea that we can go it alone with no alliances for the next 20 or 30 years is a disaster. How are we going to deal with stateless terrorism without doing what I've been able to do with the president, put together coalitions of 50, 60 nations to take it on? I come out of a generation where we were trying to be the policemen of the world. We can't go in every place. We need allies. He is absolutely dissing them. He's embracing thugs. He's embracing Kim Jong-un, who is a thug. He's embracing Putin, who is a who is a flat dictator. He's embracing people who, in fact, and he's stiff arming our friends. He's threatening NATO to pull out of NATO. I mean, come on. He says he's gotten NATO to give in more money for their defense because of his tactics. Oh, come on, man. And by the way, the idea that uh, um, NATO think, let me put it this way. If he wins re-election, I promise you, there'll be no NATO in four years or five years. You think there'll be no more NATO if no he's more re-elected? NATO. Look, I, I, I went to the, the conference in, that we have. It's called the Verkunda Conference. It used to be the, the first speech stood up. The chancellor, the former chancellor of Germany stands up. She says, we have to go it alone. We can't count on the United States. Why did we set up NATO, Chris? So no one nation could abuse the power in the region in Europe that would suck us in in a way they did in World War I and World War II. It's being crushed. Look at what's happening with Putin. While, he, while Putin is trying to undo our elections, he is undoing elections in, in Europe. Look what's happened in Hungary. Look what's happened in, in Poland. Look what's happened in Moldova. Look what's happening. You think that would have happened on my watch or Barack's watch? You can't answer that, but I promise you it wouldn't have, and it didn't. So with North Korea, the idea of reaching out President Obama, Vice President Biden wanted to do more than that. The Republicans used to whack you on the head. You can't be nice to people who are enemies. Hasn't this president done what you wanted to do by reaching out to Kim? He did the exact opposite. He gave Kim everything that he wanted, legitimacy. He gave Kim, he ended our relationship as a practical matter with South Korea and Japan as a united front and let China off the hook. He put us in a position where we say, by the way, I love the man. I know what he's doing. He hadn't done a thing. He hadn't done a thing. Kim Jong-un. And what have we done? We've suspended exercises. Look, I come out of the arms control era. Guess what? There's two ways you do this. You work or you defend. You say, hey, man, don't screw with us. You move. This is what's going to happen. This is going to happen. But in the meantime, what you do is you deal with your allies and also those who don't, aren't with you. Do you think China wants any part of North Korea becoming a nuclear power? So what do you do differently with North Korea and China? With with regard to North Korea, with China, I make it clear that we're gonna move our defenses up as we did before, and we're gonna make sure we have a capacity to deal with the near term. I'm gonna let South Korea and Japan know we're there for them. We are their nuclear umbrella, we're there for them. And China understand if you don't want us in your throat here, if you don't want us in your face, do something. Do you stop the trade battle with China? Do you go back to TPP? By the way, the idea that this trade battle makes any sense, is benefiting anybody, is absolutely ludicrous. And just ask the farmers here or around the world, I mean, around the United States, and the manufacturers, it's killing us. What we should do is we deal with China 
I, I had a conversation with Xi before I, Xi Jinping, before we left. And he said, well, you know, uh, remember they set up their no-fly zone? And I, see, I said, we're not going to pay attention to it. He said, what do you want me to do, just withdraw it? And I said, no, but just understand, we're just going to fly through. We fly a B-52 through it. We are a Pacific power. We're not going anywhere. Understand, and that's the reason why you have security, is because we've allowed stability in the region. They get it. But what they're doing now is we're not dealing with China's problem for us. China's problem is they're stealing intellectual secrets. Yes. They're cybersecurity. Deal the same way. You say you got to invest here in the United States and you want to be able to invest here. And, we're, and you say we want to invest in China, but you got to have a 51 percent owner. No deal, man. Deal for deal. But this administration's saying, fighting that same fight, isn't it? But they're not. No, they're fighting in trade. And Trump thinks it's about trade deficits and trade surpluses. It's not about that. Look, while he's like tweeting, China's going to own the 5G market. While, in fact, he, they're, they're spending billions in artificial intelligence. What are we doing? They're what, doing a whole lot of things that make no sense for us to stand still. What would you do differently with North Korea? Would you slam the door on them again? With North, yeah, I'd make it real clear. Look, you want to talk. You want to deal with us. You want sanctions lifted. Show me something ahead of time. They haven't Show tested me. a big, bad missile. And, and the reason why they haven't tested is they have it all done. They're sitting there with missiles that are capac- have capacity and nuclear capacity right now. So they're not giving up anything. Up next, Joe Biden on Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the future of the Democratic Party. We're back with a special edition of The Lead and more of CNN's exclusive interview with the former vice president, Joe Biden. You versus the rest of the field on the economy. They're all going big. 70% tax rates, free college, re-architecture of the economy, a forgiving debt for college, which happens to be the biggest asset on the American government's balance sheet. You do not believe in those things. I don't believe in the way they're doing that. For example, I think every, there should be health care for everyone. I have a plan how to do that that's rational and will cost a hell of a lot less and will work. In terms of... Too incremental? No, it's not incremental. It's Would bold. you bring back the individual mandate? Pardon me? Would you bring back the individual yes. mandate? Yes, I bring back the individual you mandate. think that'll be popular? Well, it's not. Yes, now it would be compared to what's being offered. And here's the deal, Chris. We're in a situation where if you provide an option for anybody who, in fact, wants to buy into Medicare for all, they can buy in. They buy in and they can do it. But if they like their employer-based insurance, which a lot of unions broke their neck to get, a lot of people like their... They shouldn't have to give it up. The flip of that is, if you don't go my way you ha- and you go their way, you have to give up all that. And what's going to happen when you have 300 million people landing on a health care plan? How long is that going to take? What's it going to do? And in the meantime, a lot of people are going to be in trouble. In terms of the economy, Chris, I've been proposing for a long time. And, and I've look, I know I'm middle class, Joe. I get that part. It's not meant I'm sophisticated. It meant I'm, you know, the middle class built this country. You didn't have Wall Street build this country. And how'd they do it? You gave people a chance. You allowed them to maintain their dignity. And how'd they do it? How can you have dignity without having health care? How can you have dignity without having access to an education? How can you have dignity unless you can live in a neighborhood that's not fouled by the environment and what's going on? How do you convince the party that these more advanced ideas, like all in on Medicare for all, that matter to them? I would call them advanced. But they're popular in the party. Well, by the way, watch. 
That's what this election is about. I'm really, I'm happy to debate that issue and all those issues with my friends, because guess what? Again, look who won the races. Look who won last time out. We had, and by the way, I think, I, I think Ocasio-Cortez is a brilliant, bright woman, but she won a primary. In the general election fights, who won? Mainstream Democrats who are very progressive on social issues and very strong on education, health care. Look, my North Star is the middle class. When the middle class does well, everybody does well. How do you do better for them economically, if Number, not with these 70 percent tax rates? Well, three things. One, I do raise the tax rate to 39.5 percent. I do, in fact, eliminate the ability for them to write off capital gains the way they do now. I would raise the and raise billions of dollars, raise the corporate tax rate from 20 to 28 percent. It was 36 to 28 percent. That raised billions of dollars. Trump will say, but I, that's what brought the economy up to where it is, is those tax cuts. Ask these people who work in this restaurant how that economy came up for them. Ask them how good they feel about it. Ask them how the stock market has really helped them. Ask how driving this $2 trillion greater in debt has done anything for them. On health care, do you believe that undocumented people should have health care in this country? I think undocumented people need to have a means by which they can be covered when they're sick. And so the idea is that's what I think we should be doing by building more clinics around the country, not just for undocumented, for other people. When they're ill, when they're sick, people need, this is just common decency. You're not going to let somebody. Some popular. Well, I know it well is. Well over 50% of people polled say undocumented, Ameri- or undocumented people here should not have health care on our dime. Well, let me t- tell you something. In an emergency, they should have health care. Everybody should. Anybody here in the country. How do you say you're undocumented? I'm going to let you die, man. What what, what are you going to do? You know, I mean, the idea that, you know, I hear this stuff about how, you know, they're killing Social Security, et cetera. Those who have jobs, guess what? They've increased the lifespan of Social Security by close to a dozen years. I mean, we got this. This is part of what Trump is playing on. He's playing for him. This issue, the idea of law and order versus a left that seems like it's open borders because it means it's lawless. You have people who are running close to you now who are saying decriminalize coming into the country illegally. Do you believe that should be decriminalized? No, I don't. No, I don't. I think people should have to get in line. But if people are coming because they're actually seeking asylum, they should have a chance to make their case. I would be surging as we did, and Barack and I did, surging folks to the border to make those concrete decisions. Look, the other thing, Chris, is why are they coming? The reason the vast majority of these people are coming from Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador is because they're in trouble. Crime rates are high. Education is terrible. In Guatemala, you can't turn on a light switch in half of the mountain. And so what do we do? I put together a $740 million program with Republicans, I might add. At the very end, saying, we'll make a deal with you. You do the following things to make your country better so people don't leave, and we will help you do that, just like we did in Colombia. What did we do in Colombia? We went down and said, okay, and I was one of the architects of Plan Colombia. I said, here's the deal. If you have all these crooked cops, all these federal police, we're sending our FBI down. You let us give them, put them through lie detector tests. Let us tell you who you should fire and tell you the kind of people you should hire. They did. And begin to change. We can do so much if we if we're committed. What do you say to the people in party right now when polled who say, yeah, I like Joe Biden, but I think that his ideas are the old ideas, the new ideas. I see a Warren. I see a Sanders. I see a Harris. You poll lower than them. 
you poll lower than them on ideas for the future. What do you say to them? I say to them, take a look at my ideas. Take a look at my ideas. I haven't, I haven't seen those polls. I haven't seen where people say what I've seen around the country is the vast majority of Democrats are where I am on the issues. Mm-hmm. We've got to be aggressive. And they're big ideas. The big idea on education, on health care, on dealing with the environment. I mean, it's just uh, I, I, I love how, you know, all of a sudden I, I wish I had been. I wish I'd been labeled as moderate when I was running in Delaware back in the days when it was... Uh, 80% of your party says it's center-left. No, uh, I am center-left. You know, farther left is getting no, no, more no, attention. No, no. It's getting amplified. It but is. Look. It's a disconnect. Look, it's center-left. That's where I am. Where it's not is way left. Now, look, but that's what we can find out. That's what this, that's what this debate is about. Do you think you need, if you win the nomination, to have a female VP? I think it'd be great to have a female VP. And if I don't win, it'd be great to have a female president. But the question is, whose issues are best prepared in their wheelhouse? They've demonstrated they know how to deal with them. Would you consider not having a woman as VP? I would, look, here's the first thing about being a VP I've learned. And that is that in today's environment, there's so much a president has on his or her plate. They need someone they completely trust that they're simpatico with, have the same, the same approach, political approach, and you can delegate significant authority. The president, when he delegated authority to me from the moonshot to, to, to Ukraine, he gave me the authority to make decisions. I, because he knew, I knew where he, where he was, he knew that I knew something about it, and he knew we were simpatico. And I've, so that's what I'm looking for. Do you think a Democrat ticket can win without a woman in one of the two slots? Yeah, well, the answer is yes, but I don't think that I think it helps having a woman on the ticket. And there's a lot of really qualified women out there. Is Kamala Harris, assuming she doesn't win outright, is she still somebody you would consider as a running mate? Look, one of the things I'm not going to get into because it got used before is when I was asked, I don't even have the nomination and I'm presuming who I might pick as the vice president. That's easily flipped on me and saying, well, Biden's being arrogant. Biden thinks I'll have him as my vice president. So I, I'm not going to comment on, on any individual. A woman came up to me, I guess it was, uh, I don't know, a month ago, I guess I was in New Hampshire, said, all right, I'm almost done. Why shouldn't I vote for a woman? And I said, you should. If you think that person is most qualified at the moment right now to deal with our problem, vote. I'm not suggesting you shouldn't vote for women. Look, I have spent my career from writing the Violence Against Women Act before that to say my daughters and granddaughters can do anything. And I mean anything, anything that a man can do, anything. And so I don't have a doubt in my mind. And if I started naming some of the people around the country, women who are not running for president as well, who are fully qualified to be vice president, again, it'd be he's awful presumptuous, man, and he's awful presumptuous. So there's a lot of really qualified women out there. In terms of last question, in terms of what we haven't seen from Joe Biden yet. Can you that window, please? I remember your. Hey, Jill, last question. Last question. I promise. OK. OK, well, we'll be there. Last question. I promise. The last thing I remember talking to him about politically uh, with you, Bo, was, uh, you know, what what is the quality? You know, because he was asking me about, what, you know, what do you take from your father and this? What did Andrew take? Bo Biden said to me, nobody fights like my father. 
What does that mean to you, to fight harder than anybody else? I think it means two things. One, to fight without being personal, to fight and convince. The role of a president is to persuade, persuade, not just go out and fight. If they want someone with a clenched fist, bare knuckle fight, closed hand, closed heart, they got one of those guys right now. That's not me. I have been pretty darn good at bringing people together. The whole idea of America is that when we're together, there's not a damn thing we can't do. And it's, look, the most incredible response I always get for the last three years is when I talk about how optimistic am I about the future. People know it. They feel it. They know it. They understand it. And we can't stay in this state. What are we going to do? What are we going to do if we can't get along better? And part of it is persuasion. And people looking at you say, I know what he means. He'll stay with what he says, and he'll do what he says he's going to do. And I think that's part of leading. We'll soon find out. Thank you for the time. So will Joe Biden's push against progressives like AOC hurt him in the primaries or help? Our experts weigh in next. And we're back with our coverage of former Vice President Joe Biden's exclusive sit down with CNN. Um, so many things to dissect in that in that lengthy interview. First is just the way that the former vice president just went for it in staking out what he was very clear uh, about what he where he thinks the Democratic Party really is, which is center left Mm -hmm. um, on a number of issues and talked specifically about Congresswoman AOC, who maybe gets the most play, even though she's not running uh, running for president. And the man who is running for president, Bernie Sanders, took the bait. He jumped on it because uh, he wanted to be associated with this. He did it. sent out a tweet today saying the following. I'm proud to be working with AOC and so many other Democrats to pass Medicare for all, debt-free college and a Green New Deal. This is the agenda America needs and that will energize voters to defeat uh, Donald Trump. So the split was already there, but it's becoming more clear. Yeah. I don't don't think he needed to do that to make the split so clear. He could have said something nice about her and he could have moved on. I don't think there's any point in in trying to separate yourself, right? I I think that she is representative of the future of the party. There's no question. And she really lights up so many people in the party, even people who aren't super, super liberal, still can recognize that she's Mm -hmm. incredibly brilliant and um, and really has a vision for the party. So I think it would be better for him to just have have skipped that, you know, just said Mm -hmm. she's brilliant. And she's, you know, a brilliant young leader. And, um, you know, here's my vision. What I about- don't know about that. I, I think he's going to get suffer a death of a thousand cuts if on every issue he allows them to come after him on something he's a position he took 20 years ago or something he said 40 years ago. I think he might as well try to make it a referendum on do you want a center left Democratic Party or a really left Democratic Party? And if you guys want to go up against Donald Trump with the Green New Deal and busing and uh, taking away private health insurance, good luck. But I, I think he will win that bad, actually. But I that's not what he did. Major- <laughs> that's what? my point. If he had just done that, that would be fine. But he doesn't need to say anything well. critical about her. That's my point. It's like you, you just make your make your point that you think that the future Democratic Party is moving in this direction. But I think, you know, he has to 
I also think there's a debate about whether he's correct. That right. was, that so, was the yeah. next question. Yeah. Do you so, think he is? Yeah, I, I think it's a gamble. That, in, yeah, I think I think it's a huge gamble, and I'm more in the camp of saying that I think it's more likely that you need to really get the base excited and the people who are the most passionate about the party rather than trying to win back people who voted for Donald Trump. I think that's a much bigger gamble. So, you know, he's putting it out there that he thinks this is the future of the party, and um, and, and he can continue to make that case. But he does have to get out of the primary, and the primary is actually Quite he's liberal. not going to win the primary if you're right, that that's where the party wants to go. So you might as well put all his chips on the table on this. And I think it doesn't hurt to mention AOC. Fine, she's sort of popular Sorry, for the party. Popular. Well, she is only sort of. I'd like to actually see a poll of all Democratic voters, not of Democrats on Twitter, about AOC <laughs> versus Democrats other Democrats. Who are not on Twitter? Are you know, any humans? Yeah, no, there are none. But, no. it, but those, those nice people who aren't. More than half of Democratic primary voters are not college do not but, have college degrees. A lot of them are 55 and over. A lot of African-American and white voters are and, working class voters. I do think they are Joe Biden voters much more than AOC voters. And I don't think that Chris, Chris alluded to because he said, I think he was referencing a recent Quinnipiac poll that said like 20 percent of people who say they're going to vote in Democratic primaries and caucuses consider themselves very liberal. Right. The rest are potentially Joe Biden voters. You're not so sure. Right, but I don't think that you have to be very liberal to support Medicare for all, for example. I think that people are coming around to recognize that something's really broken in this country when it comes to our health healthcare system, and a lot of people are looking for solutions. And mm-hmm. so you know, as long as you don't want to ab- abolish private insurance and you're willing to do some sort of expanding Medicare without abolishing private insurance, I don't consider that a super liberal position. Now, I know it's, it's super liberal to you, but no, I don't but think it's... real Medicare for all does get rid of private health insurance. But Otherwise, most, you're just talking about the public option, basically, <laughs> which Biden, to be fair, I think would have preferred in 2010 uh, that he couldn't get all the Democratic senators to go with him. So I agree. I mean, look, he can make some of these distinctions... Uh, and, and I think he's going to have to. I guess what I would say is he's going to have to make he can't help. It can't help but be a referendum on center versus left. OK, guys, stand by because we have more to talk about, including a new number for Senator Kamala Harris, one that's not as high as she likely would have hoped. That's next. As we celebrate the independence of our beautiful. Senator Kamala Harris pulling in less than 12 million dollars in the second quarter, according to her campaign, just shy of her first quarter haul and well short of sums raised by Pete Buttigieg, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders all over the past three months. And another presidential candidate sits down with CNN live next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.